Good morning. Glad you're here today. A lot of good things are going on. It's, uh, I hate to say we're back to normal, but it feels like we're getting closer and closer. Do you feel that way? We've got a great crowd today and uh, a lot of good things going on. I was looking at the bulletin. I encourage you to spend some time each week just kind of looking to see what's going on. Some of it, you need to be a part of it. Some of it may be just what someone else needs. And that came to mind when I noticed that we are about to launch another grief share opportunity. Now, you and I may not be equipped to truly help someone in grief. Uh, We may not know what to say, but the grief share support time is, and it's great. And so that's coming up soon, and that may not be for you, but it may be for someone you know. So share the word. It's not just for folks at West 7th. Um, people from the community come and are a part of that. Eric and Melissa Bryant, are, they have a heart for this. They do so well, and so that's uh, coming up soon. Uh, and pray for that, uh, because grief can be uh, uh, something that we really do need each other to help with. So pray for that. Also, the back-to-school giveaway. Uh, We've been talking about that for a couple of weeks. Today's the deadline if you want to give some money towards stuffing those backpacks. And you can register online if you want to be a part of helping distribute those. Uh, The giveaway is Saturday from 8 to 11. And again, the details to register are online. And if you're here last Sunday, you heard the great news. Susie Parrott is going to be helping us in our children's ministry. She was in the office this week getting things going. um, And we're so excited. If you don't know Susie and Steve, they've been a part of this church for, I think, 10, 11 years and dearly loved. And um, she is going to do great in that role. So continue to pray for and encourage her. Open your bulletin to the back side. You can see the outline if you want to follow along there. And the verses will be on the screen. We're going to continue our series studying about the names of Jesus. Did you hear about the two men that went bear hunting? They went to this special lodge. One stayed behind in the cabin. The other one went out to hunt for a bear, and he found him all right. The biggest grizzly bear he'd ever seen in all of his life. And he got his gun out, took a shot, but just grazed him. Well, that made the bear angry, and he started charging at the man. So the man started running away, dropped his rifle, and thought, if I can just make it back to the cabin, I'll be okay. And so he started yelling at his friend who was still at the cabin, and his friend opened the door, and he was getting closer and closer, but that bear was right on his heels, about to catch him. Right as he got to the porch, the man tripped and fell, spread eagle. The bear had so much momentum, he tripped over the man and just rolled into the house. So the guy got up, pulled the door to, and said to his buddy inside, you skin him, and I'll go grab another one. I doubt they ever went bear hunting again. You know, when two people are at odds, sometimes it's hard to know how do you get the two back together. Hardly anyone wants that job of coming in between. There are a lot of peace lovers in the world But how many people are truly peacemakers? This morning in our worship, we've honored the one who brokered the best, most awesome peace agreement situation of all times. That's why Jesus came. Romans 5.1 says it so very well. Look at the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's an amazing statement. That's an incredible promise. But how can we be sure that we can trust that? How do we know that that is true? That Jesus actually brokered peace between God and us? Well, that's what we're going to look at today in this name, another title of Jesus, and see how this claim is true. Look again at 1 Timothy 2, verse 6. Jeff read that as we begin our worship. I'll look at it again. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Well, what's the truth? For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now that name, that term is not used often of Jesus. Only four times in scripture is Jesus called mediator. But it's such an important name and we need to understand this term and why it's used. Why is Jesus our mediator? Why do we need to know that? Why is this important? Well, you know that mediation is often used to keep from going to court. It often is a more desirable way of settling a dispute between two parties who are at odds with one another. Look at the screen. Mediation is needed when a go-between is necessary to reconcile two parties. That's what we're talking about here. That word mediation, the Greek word, is derived from a term that means in the middle. Literally, a middleman. You've heard that phrase before. We use that phrase, middleman. It's a legal concept. It's, a, it's used in commerce and business. A middleman's job is to bring two parties together that will benefit both parties. That's what a middleman does. Now, this is different than what we studied last week when we talked about Jesus as our advocate. An advocate is not a middleman. An advocate is representing you and only you. That's what you want your attorney to do. That's what you want your advocate to do. But a mediator is different from an advocate because a mediator, in the truest sense, is impartial. And we need to understand that. A mediator represents both sides equally. Now, you know, the Old Testament was uh, translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. So the only time that same Greek word mediator appears in the Old Testament is in the book of Job. And have you noticed in our study of Jesus' names how we've often gone to Job because we learn so much about God through what happened with Job. Job was enduring these satanic assaults under God's permission. And we just try to wrap our brains around that. Job's friends come to him and say, Job, if you just repented of your sins, God will just take all this misery. You're, you're suffering this way because you're guilty. You've got a sin problem. Well, Job didn't disagree with his friends that he was guilty and had a sin problem, but he did disagree and say, but that's not why this is happening. Job made an amazing statement in Job 9, verse 32. He's talking about God here. Notice what he says. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There's no arbiter, same word as mediator. There's no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on both of us. So Job was saying he longed for someone, someone, anyone, who could help him make things right with God. 
But, but who can do that? Someone to help him understand. Now, to me, this is interesting. The New American Standard Version didn't translate that as arbiter or mediator. They used the term umpire. Anybody know what an umpire is? Of course you do. We all know what an umpire is. And as I thought through this, I thought, perfect. Great translation here. Because when you play a game, you know a good umpire is critical. How do you know when you got a good umpire? When you don't notice them. Right? You just notice the game. You notice the players. You don't notice the umpire because the umpire is not partial. They're not messing up the cause. They're not favoring one side. But if you see that umpire and they're partial to one team, you see it again and again, all you notice is the umpire. So a mediator in the truest sense is to be impartial, to represent both sides. So Job then is asking a really good question. Who can do that? Who can represent both sides? Who is qualified to represent God? Think about that one. Who can represent God? Well, Paul, that's what he was writing here in his letter to Timothy, said Jesus can do that. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Well, I'm going to start in our study today, just ask some questions. Who, what, when, where, how, and try to understand more about why we need Jesus as a mediator. So here's the first question. Why is mediation even necessary? Well, the word mediation implies estrangement. You don't need a mediator unless you've got two people who are at, at odds. There's an impasse or some kind of uh, problem. There's a wall between them. There's a separation. They're not together. And that's why you need a mediator to bring them together. And by the way, this is exactly the biblical description of mankind. That we, because of our sin problem, are estranged from God. And we see this from the very beginning of Scripture. This is the sin problem. Man is estranged from God. And it's all our fault. It's our fault. It's not God's fault at all. Look at Isaiah 59 verse 2. But your iniquities, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Think about it. Does the Bible ever say God needs to be reconciled to man? You don't read that in Scripture. Because it's not God that needs to be reconciled. It's man that needs to be reconciled to God. See, when there's people and there's a disagreement between two people and you need a mediator between two people, part of that mediation is to determine who is at fault. But that's sometimes hard to do because sometimes there's a little bit of fault on both sides. You notice that? It's kind of part of the, the human condition. Sometimes somebody may be more at fault, but no one's perfectly innocent. And so that's kind of part of the challenge of mediation between two people. But with God, there's no fault on his part. The fault is completely on us. So man has a twofold dilemma here. First, man often, we fail to see that. Think about how many people have no idea they've got a sin problem. How many people are in our world, they just walk around, they don't realize they're lost. They don't even know, they don't even think about them being estranged from God. They're totally unaware. But that's just one dilemma. The other, even if they are aware, man, woman, whoever you are, you're helpless to do anything about it on your own. 
You can't be your own mediator. It doesn't work that way. We need to be reconciled to God, but we have no way to accomplish it. So what does God do? God makes a way. From the very beginning of time, as soon as there was a sin problem, God initiated a sin answer. Back in the garden, you remember how perfect it was? God made everything good. He said it was very good. The Bible talks about God walking in the garden with that first man and woman, and then they sinned. There was a sin problem. And right off the bat, God reveals a plan for reconciliation. Look at the screen, Genesis 3, verse 15. God said this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And then speaking of that offspring, it says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Third chapter of the Bible, God is already announcing this mediator that's coming. This solution to the sin problem. This go-between. He's not the one that created the separation, but he's the one who's come up with the plan. He didn't cause the problem, but God says, here's the answer. Well, question number two then is, who is the mediator? <clears throat> Good question to ask. Maybe this is a given, but I don't think so. Because there's so many self-proclaimed mediators. Think about how many world religions have their own mediator in some form, but they all share the same deficiency. Remember, a mediator is supposed to be perfectly impartial and perfectly represent both sides equally well. But who can represent God? Who? There's no person that can do that. There's no elder, there's no preacher. No matter how spiritual your grandmother, your grandfather was, your dad, your mom, your spiritual mentor, no person can perfectly represent God. Only Jesus can because He's God and man. And yet there's a constant temptation about people that we try to put someone else in that spot. Hey, you do this for me, for God. You, you, do, you talk to God for me. And we try to put somebody else in that spot. The word mediator is used four times in the New Testament. I mentioned that. The first is 1 Timothy. The other three are in the book of Hebrews. And you remember the book of Hebrews was written to those from a Hebrew background to help them know, don't go back to that because there's a better way. In fact, some, some uh, commentaries will say that's the theme. That's the message of the book of Hebrews. Better. It's a better covenant. It's a better mediator. It talks about this Jesus Christ, how he's better throughout Scripture. And that's the point that is made about Jesus as the mediator. There is no person alive who or has ever lived who's a better mediator than Jesus. No saint, no Mary, no preacher, no person, no one. The Bible says only Jesus, only one mediator, period. So when? Next question. When? When does the mediation take place? Well, Jesus made peace at Calvary. And think about what happened literally, physically, on the cross, that Jesus was lifted up, suspended between earth where man is and heaven. He was in between. 
He became that go-between, even the very posture suspended between man and God. Look at 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for us, talk about the cross there, suffered once for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, that, there's a reason, that he might bring us to God. That is what the cross is all about. He was bringing about the reconciliation. Another verse in Hebrews, chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works serving the li- to serve the living God? And then look at verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of the new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since the death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Jesus was not just a mediator. He was the best mediator. There's no one who's better. And Jesus really did the unthinkable as a mediator. Really, that's not even required as the mediator. When you hire somebody or, or if someone's appointed to be the mediator between to settle the disputes... Usually there's some type of payment for that, right? I mean, that, that's what they do. That's their job, and they're good at it. They're trained, and you want to be good at it. You want to be trained. You want to be paid well for that. But Jesus, instead of being paid, he paid. The mediator, when they're trying to settle these two parties who disagree and say, okay, well, you did this, and you were wrong, and you need to pay their damages, the mediator doesn't fork out that money. The other party's supposed to pay that. But Jesus being the mediator here, he pays the debt. Because he knows, again, what we said earlier, we can't pay it. There's no way we can do that. Jesus had to cover our debt to bring us together. I also want us to get this. Mediation wasn't just Jesus coming in the flesh so that God could understand what we go through. Sometimes we, we hear that said, and the book of Hebrews talks about we have a high priest who can sympathize with us because he's lived like us, but understand God's big enough, he knows what we're going through. So Jesus didn't come in the flesh to become a man so that he could understand. He already understood. He came to be a person to walk in the flesh so that we could understand that he understands does that make sense we know that he gets it because he lived like us but he knew all along because God's big like that he's able to understand but his coming and I hope you know this already Paul puts it this way to be sin just part of that debt payment we're talking about If you've not yet marked in your Bibles, Mark 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. Key passage you need to know. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Then verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin. He was making that payment. 
Dennis Rowland was one of the many POWs who helped to build, construct the bridge over the River Kwai. You've heard of it. It was a bridge in the most treacherous terrain. And I, and I was reading about the story, and I went back and I was reading about the bridge. Thousands upon thousands were required to construct. It took a year, just over a year, from October to October, to build it during the war. Over 9,000 POWs died during the construction. That doesn't count the local slave labor that was also used in the construction. 9,000. 7,000 in one cemetery nearby, another 2,000 in another. I did the math. That's like just about 25 a day. Died. For over a year, the bridge became this incredible symbol of hate and oppression during that war. The Japanese were trying to get over to India, and it was going to be a railway bridge to, to, to give all their supplies. In the meantime, the cost, the casualty of all these people who died for this, it became such a symbol of bitterness and hatred. In October 1978, the 33rd anniversary of the completion of the bridge, Dennis Rowland of New York and his former guard walked arm in arm across the bridge. Roland said, I bear no bitterness toward the Japanese, but I have many memories. How could he do that? That bridge, that symbol of hatred and oppression and death became the very symbol of forgiveness and peace and reconciliation. Is that not very similar to what God did with the cross? See, to you and me, the cross is beautiful. It's in our songs. It's in our jewelry. It's in our homes. When we see the cross, we think of the most beautiful, beautiful thing that ever happened. But it wasn't always that way. The cross was a symbol of death. It was created as a way to execute people and suffer, make them suffer, torture them. The very people who hated God, who were rebelling against God. God took the ugliest thing, the ugliest thing of that day that represented hate and evil and transformed it into the most beautiful image of love and forgiveness. All to bring mankind to himself. Isn't that what we're talking about? Isn't that amazing? Look at Romans 5, 9 through 11. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more we will be saved from him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have now received reconciliation because of what he did. We've been reconciled to God. And we've got a lot to rejoice about. Let me show you why. That's question number four. 
What did these, this mediation accomplish? Well, two things at least. <clears throat> First, he secured our salvation. I could share a whole other sermon on another title or role, but instead I want to make it a point in this one. Look at Hebrews 7, verse 24, 22. Hebrews 7, 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Jesus is our guarantor. The, the Revised Standard Version says surety. You've heard that term. Again, that's another business term. It means you're responsible to cover the debt of another person. That's what it means in business. Let me share two examples in Scripture that, that you know that kind of help us to see how this is lived out. The first is back in Genesis when the brothers go down to Egypt. They're starving. They need rice. They don't realize that their brother is now the prince of Egypt in charge of all of this. So they go and they're begging for food. Jo Joseph sends them back. Do you remember the story? and says, I'm not going to give you any rice unless you bring your younger brother. They go back and they tell their, their dad that message. And Jacob's not having that. He's already lost one son. He doesn't want to lose his other son. And they said, we can't. We can't go. We won't get any unless we take Benjamin. So Reuben, remember the story? Reuben steps up and says, if we don't come back, if we don't bring Benjamin back, you can take my two sons. Jacob says no. You remember the story? Jacob says no to that. Judah steps up and says, if we don't bring Benjamin back, it's on me. You can take my life. That's what we're talking about here. That's the surety. That's the guarantee. Then in the New Testament, the book of Philemon. Philemon is that short letter about a runaway slave, Onesimus. Paul is sending him back to Philemon's home. Paul is being the mediator there. And Paul does the same thing. Paul's message is simply this, whatever debt he owes... It's on me. He ran away. shouldn't have done that. You need to take him back. And if he owes you anything, I'm good for it. That's what Paul says. Paul is reconciling these two men by offering to pay the debt. That's exactly what Jesus did. Our salvation is secured. Here's another question I didn't put on the outline. How long? How long is it secured? For as long as Jesus lives. As long as Jesus lives, it's secure. That's what the scripture teaches. But another point, he assured access. I feel like this is one of those second tier truths that we don't always grasp or that we might easily forget. But we need to know this. Not only has he secured our salvation, but he has assured our access. I think this is good for us to understand by making the peace between us he makes it possible for us to again have that intimate, close relationship that God intended from the very beginning of creation. You know, we talked about that in Genesis, how that first man and woman had that close relationship with God until the sin problem. But Jesus dealing with the sin problem, he makes that type of relationship available again. One of the messages that you can't miss in the book of Hebrews when it's talking about the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant is this, you don't have to be afraid to approach God. You don't have to be afraid to approach God. Now, 
The writer of Hebrews is not saying you need to be flippant or callous or, or disrespectful. Not at all. He's a holy God. He deserves our best. But that doesn't mean we have to be terrified of Him. Not at all. Instead, you remember this, the writer of Hebrews would say, you can approach the throne with boldness. Remember that? With boldness. That's how close the relationship, you're bold with God. You're not afraid, like I can't even ask, I can't even tell him what I did wrong. No, no, no. you're approaching the throne with boldness. Confidence is another word he uses, you remember that? Boldness, confidence. Why? That you will have grace in your time of need. That's who he is. That's what this relationship is about. One more. The last time mediators used in Scripture, again in Hebrews, is chapter 12. And what I want you to see here in this passage as we read it is the contrast of old and new. Old covenant, new covenant. And here it's that fear, that fear they had of approaching God and the joy that we can have in approaching God. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through verse 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom, a tempest and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the the hearers beg that no further message would be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Quote, if a beast touches the mountains, it shall be stoned. Unquote. Indeed, so terrifying was this, that sign that Moses said, I tremble with fear. He's talking about Mount Sinai there. And if you remember what was going on there, they were afraid. God was there in the mountain. His presence was there. And the people were just in awe. Just, just paralyzed by the fear. Contrast that now. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and feastal gathering, some translations say joyful assembly, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, and there's the term, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We don't stand anymore or cower back at Mount Sinai, afraid to touch it, afraid to get too close. Instead, we're at Mount Zion with joy. That's what he's describing here. And do you know why? Do we understand why? From Mount Sinai to Mount Zion is changed because of what happened at Mount Calvary. What he did made all the difference. Our mediator accomplished what no one else could do. The reading that we shared earlier had this line, God wants all men to come to a knowledge of the truth. You probably already know about Jesus reconciling us. He's our mediator. But if you want to take something away from the lesson, I want you to get this. we got one more blank to fill in. We're not there yet, but we're going to do one more. I don't think God expects you to know everything in Scripture. You could read your Bible every day for the rest of your life or till the Lord comes back and calls you home and you're still not going to get it all. And even if you read it all, you're not going to understand it all. We just cannot do that. 
But when you read in Scripture, there are some little nuggets where God says, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. This is one of those things he says, God wants all men to be saved. God wants all men. Think about that. People don't know that message. They don't understand. God wants all men to be saved. Some people think God wants to condemn people. That He's glad to send people to, to condemn. No. God wants all men to be saved. And there's a mediator between me and them that can bring us together. The New Testament pleads for us to come together. And again, again, we read in the Bible, God wants all men to be saved. There's one mediator between man and God, the man Jesus Christ. That's the name that brings salvation. So here's the blank. You fill it in. God has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. God has entrusted you and me with the message of reconciliation. God wants everybody to be saved. And he says, you are my messenger. You are my voice. You're the one that's going to help people to know, I want all men to be saved. God has entrusted us with the message of reconciliation. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This time I want to look at verses 19 and 20. In Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And here's that phrase, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God wants the whole world to know That he wants the whole world to be saved. Everyone. And you're the ambassador. He's trusting you with the message. That's why we pray for lost people. That's why we always need to be thinking about the lost. Not just the church and those of us who are here in this wall and what we do when we gather. We're always thinking about those who don't yet know Jesus. See, for those of us who've been saved, who've been reconciled, Somewhere along the way, someone brought to you this message. Maybe a bunch of somebodies. But again and again, they were bringing you the message of reconciliation. And you accepted that message. You believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You repented of your sins. You had them washed away in baptism. You received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now God is entrusting you to tell others. You, man, woman, young, old, a lot of gifts, just a few gifts. He's entrusting you with the message to be an ambassador for Christ. And I love that phrase. God is making His appeal through you. God is making His appeal. Just tell your own story. What happened in your life? Why is it important to you? And why are you concerned about them? For those who have not yet said yes to following Jesus, that's the message. Make peace with God. That's why Jesus came. He provided a way. And all the rest of us in this room are repeating these very words. We implore you 
on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you need to come to Jesus, our song is to encourage you. If we can pray for you in any way, won't you come when we stand and sing?